Awesome. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, Post Thanksgiving Day feasts. Um, it's so good to, uh, to gather for worship. I want to say, would you guys give a big hand for Natalie and Ryan? Thank you. We don't get them very often, but when we do, when it's, it's nice to have them from time to time. Ryan has one flaw. He is a Washington Redskins fan. Um, ooh, it's, it's a rough time. Yeah, wait, wait, oh, wait a second. I'm going to pray for y'all. Somebody's clapping for that. No, um, man, what a, what a great holiday, what a great time of the year. Uh, I love this time of the year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, this time of the year is, is awesome. So it's, it's good to gather for worship as well, good to gather as a church and um, just enjoy the time, celebrate, um, eat, eat lots more. Somebody told me a stat this week, I can't remember who it was, but they said between between Thanksgiving and the end of the year, Christmas and New Year's, the average American gains 11 pounds. Wow. All right. So that's why all of us are out running after New Year's, right? Trying to get rid of those pounds. So I hope that's not true. Um, but uh, it's a possibility for sure. It's a possibility for sure. So um, anyway, good to be with you. Uh, we're going to continue in the book of Philippians this morning. I'm excited about that. But before we dive in, let me give you a couple of things that are happening, uh, as you heard a little bit earlier. Uh, next week is Pack the Forest, and I hope many, many, if not all of you, are signed up for Pack the Forest. Uh, it's a great time, great event, serving together. Uh, we fill the gym. Right now, as of right now, there's 586 volunteers currently signed up for Pack the Forest. Yeah. So that's our largest group, largest group ever to sign up for Pack the Forest. And if everybody shows up, that'll be really amazing, an amazing scene. Um, so I hope that you sign up. I hope you'll carve out the time and be a part of it. Um, here's a little information I want to give you because I, I asked Feeding Children Everywhere how we've done over the last, this is our fifth event we've done with them. I asked them about the stats for the last four, and they told me that um, out of the four projects, we've packed, get this, we've packed over the last four projects, 222,504 meals in the last four Pack the Forest events. And we've, we've, uh, we've, had, we've mobilized uh, 1,750 plus volunteers for each of those events, between all of those events. So that's pretty cool, uh, the level of engagement that we've had with this. So here's the big deal. We are running short on the dollars. So if you can give, uh, please do. We are, we're about 11,000 short at this point. We need to get to 22,000. We're right at uh, right around 11,000, all right? And so if you can give, give big. Go all out, go all in. This year end, you can, you can donate here at the church. You can go on forestlakechurch.org and give online, or you can give, um, you can just drop it in the plate, mark your tithe envelope, whatever, mark your envelope. So we would love for you to give so that we can so we can hit our number, all right? You with me? Say amen. 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 All right, all right. So let's pray, and we'll dive right in this morning. Father God, it is good to be in this place. It is good to be amongst your people. It is good to gather um, fully aware that you are a God who grants us so much, who blesses beyond our imagination. And so we come as an expression, Lord, of gratefulness, of thankfulness for what you've done. 
And we acknowledge it, God. We acknowledge the things that we've seen you do, and we acknowledge the reality of the fact that there are things that you do that we have no clue about. But we're grateful this morning. So we come with a heart full of joy and a heart full of worship to you. Thank you, Father, for this time. May your words speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in Philippians. If you will turn there with me or uh, take a peek up at the screens, we will be in Philippians chapter 2. We'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 4. Now, as we kicked off, as we started a couple of weeks ago, Uncommon Joy, it's the title of our series, we made a point just to, to give an overview of the book. We made a point to say this about Paul. Paul is operating in what we would call his sweet spot. Uh, the context of Philippians is that uh, Paul is a prisoner. He's literally chained to a guard. He... Um, he, he has limited mobility, if you will. He is, he, is, he is a prisoner. And yet, in the midst of that, in the midst of his circumstances, he doesn't hesitate to talk about joy or rejoicing. There's language about his, the reality of a very deep and profound joy, even in the midst of his circumstances that Paul talks about. But this is Paul. This is, this is his life. This is what he knows. This is the guy who was called to go preach the gospel to people uh, who aren't Jewish, to the Gentiles. He's called to go out to essentially a hostile environment, risk being persecuted, risk even death. And that's what he thrives in. That's what he's all about. Before, he was a persecutor of God's church. He was on the other side. He was doing the executing and the persecuting. Then God calls him out of that, and now he's a guy that will go into places and risk being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. That's just him. But that's where he thrives. Right? Remember a couple of weeks ago we said, here's Paul. He's chained to a guard. That's bad for Paul, but worse for the guard. Because he's got to listen to this dude talk about Jesus the whole time, right? The guard has got to sit. He, he can't get away from Paul. Who's really in prison here, right? But that's where he thrives. That's who he is. That's what he's all about is that he doesn't care where God asks him to go. He will go there. He will speak of Jesus. He will talk about the gospel. He will invite people to believe what he believes. But he's writing to this church in Philippi, the very church that he founded. The church is about 10 years old. He's writing to this church at Philippi, and he understands that they are, they are experiencing a bit of opposition. They are struggling through a very difficult time. And so it's really a, a personal letter of, of encouragement from Paul. Paul's kind of their, he's their spiritual father, if you will. He's the guy that, that baptized them. He's the guy that, that went that, that is there for them, it has been there for them, introduced them to the faith. And there's a special bond that happens when someone introduces you to the faith, right? How you can remember, there's probably some of you who can remember the person who had the greatest spiritual influence on you. And maybe even that person baptized you. You remember those people. And I can tell you this, as a pastor, we remember the ones of you that that receive Christ and are baptized. We, and we think we have a special bond with you. And we care for you and we think about you. That's what's going on here in Philippians. 
Paul, Paul has a personal connection. He's not just their pastor. He's their brother. He's their friend. They matter to him. He's concerned about them as a church. He's concerned about uh, what's going on. He's concerned that somebody would have something against them and try to destroy their faith and kill their joy. And so he's speaking to them. He's speaking into that reality because he cares very deeply for them. So we pick it up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We'll just read that, and then we're going to connect it back to chapter 1, all right? So read it along with me if you'd like. Um, it goes like this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy, there's that word, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, he says. And then he continues in verse 3. Notice this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, he says. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each, but each of you to the interests of the others. So Paul is very much comfortable in the setting in which he is in. He's very much comfortable with the tension of attempting to communicate the gospel, but also receiving the opposition. What he's struggling with is how those he has led to Christ in the Philippian church are going to be able to handle that same reality, the opposition, the tension that comes up. He's very comfortable as individually for himself in doing that, but he understands that corporately as a group of believers, as a church, when you face opposition, it, you, you are at risk of losing your harmony and your unity. That's what he's concerned about. He says, if they come up against too big a wave of opposition, it might, it might cause this young church with young believers to begin to fragment and fall apart. Or if they don't fragment and fall apart, they'll just turn on each other and everyone will begin to pursue their own selfish interests, and we all know what happens in that context, right? If everybody decides to kind of do their own thing, only look out for themselves, only do the thing that feels good for them, what happens to unity? What happens to harmony? What happens to the collective purpose of the church and that kind of, it goes away, man. You, you ever been in a church that's gone through some, some difficult times? Ever been in a church that was divided? It just, the air just tastes funny when you walk in the place, right? It's like, ooh. You can feel it. You know, nobody even has to tell you what's going on. You can walk in, you can cut the tension with a knife. And Paul is deeply concerned about that. Now, it's interesting as we look at the second chapter, it begins with the word therefore, all right? Begins with the word therefore. So if indeed, it be, if it begins with the word therefore, that means he's connecting something previously to what he's talking about after the therefore, right? So to be faithful to scripture, let's look at what comes before the therefore, all right? That's chapter one, the end of chapter one, uh, specifically verse 27, all right? So this is just a little bit before he gets to the therefore because he is, he's talking about what's coming before specifically. All right, so he says, whatever happens, 
whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner. Remember, he's concerned about what's going on with them. He's concerned primarily about their unity. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. That you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without, uh, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. So essentially he says, uh, be careful of how you conduct yourselves. Be mindful of that. In fact, make sure you're speaking in one spirit and you have one voice, you have one purpose in mind, you guys are united, there's harmony, you are sticking together. When opposition comes to you, press together. Don't fragment, don't break apart. It's gonna be essential that you do that, is what Paul is saying. And then we go over to the therefore. And we get into those first four, those first four verses of chapter two where he gives us an idea of how we achieve that very same, that unity and that harmony that he's after. But what's interesting to me, as we look at this, and as we think through this a bit, Paul was concerned about this church because he understood the power of the opposition. In fact, he wasn't always even sure that he himself would be able to make it through some of the opposition. And in fact, that his current circumstances while he's in prison, he's not exactly sure how it will end. Notice um, chapter 1 and verse 20. Notice chapter 1 and verse 20. It goes like this. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And notice what he says whether by life or by death. He wasn't always sure. Now earlier he, he says, look, I'm trusting in my deliverance. I believe it's going to happen. But in this passage, in this passage he says, uh, whether by life or by death, may God be exalted. May God be given glory. He understood what he was up against. But he wasn't so sure he wasn't so sure that the church that he had founded could withstand the opposition that would come their way. Now here's the thing, here's the thing. Here's what's interesting. We're a little bit dis detached from the reality of what Paul and the people at the Philippian church are living through. You and I won't find ourselves being theologically harassed for the most part, right? There may be few examples here and there, but in general, there isn't a large population of Christians, Adventists in particular, who are being persecuted for their faith. When I go to my neighborhood this afternoon, after church, and I, I'm walking into my house, there won't be people of a different belief system throwing things at me, saying, you crazy Christian, why are you going to church on Saturday or anything like that? That just does not happen, right? That's not really our context. So in some ways, we can't relate to the notion of, of opposition from people who have differing beliefs, per se. 
Now, there are the instances where there are issues uh, with your employer and whether or not you, you work on Sabbath and those things. That I'm not denying the reality of some of that. But the truth of the matter in general, when we think of this idea of, of opposition, we can't relate specifically, especially in the context in which Paul is speaking here. But we can relate to a different type of opposition, if you will. We can relate to the reality of just the struggle in life, right? We can relate, we can relate to the reality of the challenges of trying to do life in this culture and in this world. That's just the reality of it. Um, Timothy, um, another one of Paul's protégés, if you will. He was a mentor to Timothy, but, but notice what he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Again, Paul has a, a huge heart for the people that he leads spiritually. He says this to Timothy. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. And I think that's so, I think that's so true because I don't know that in the current state of things right now that you and I will ever bump up against just religious or, or theological hostility from the, from the people around us. I don't know that we're going to get thrown into prison. I don't know that we're going to uh, find ourselves in some great fight with someone over our faith, per se. But the reality is we have the, just the, the, the opposition of trying to do life in a culture and a world that is often very unforgiving, right? I mean, just think about it. Um, if you're raising children right now, all of you that are parents and you're raising children, I want you to say amen if that's easy. <laughs> all right, a lesson in church on how not to get an amen. That's how you do it, all right? Those of you in the congregation today who are, who are married and, or maybe in a significant relationship with someone else, I want you to say amen if that is just the easiest thing and it's always harmonious and it's always awesome. <laughs> right? So the reality is life in and of itself and the reality of trying to do life and relationship with others in light of the reality of my own fallenness and brokenness as a sinner a selfish sinner life has very real opposition to, to us and it's just difficult at times You and I won't face some of the same persecution and the challenges that, that Paul faced or the Philippian church faced. But we have our battles that we fight. We have the reality of, a, of opposition. At the very least, we can acknowledge the fact that there is a, there is a great agitator. There's a great, there's a great um, uh, instigator in our lives, and that is the enemy. That is Satan. That is Lucifer. You call him whatever you want. It's sort of the invisible 
war that we fight. It's the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms is what Paul says in a different place. You may not be able to see your enemy, but he's there. And he's constantly, constantly creating turmoil. He's constantly trying to create all sorts of mayhem and chaos in your life. That's just the way it is. And you know what? It generally happens around the holidays, right? It's funny. This week on, on, um, on some of the, just on the internet, there were articles floating around. Get this. There were articles floating around giving families tips on how to avoid or properly discuss politics at the Thanksgiving Day table. <laughs> right? Okay. Wow. That's just sort of where we are. Because the reality is, some of these things bubble to the surface right now in the midst of our holidays. Why? Because we are, the, the, the holidays um, have the, the intent of bringing families together, bringing people together. But in reality, we don't always do so well together. <laughs> Right? Don't you love it when it's time for your relatives to go home? <laughs> right? I was loving them two days ago, but their children are from a hot place. They need to go. No, right? I mean, just be honest, right? It's like, they, oh, I love you. I love you from a distance. That's the way I want to, right? But but we're, we're invited to engage and to be with one another. We're, we're called to gather because this is just what we do during the holidays. And yet there's this tension that can come and there's this sort of built-in opposition sometimes. And it's not helped by some of the cultural conversations that are going on around us, whether it be politics or faith and religion or you, you name a topic. You know, maybe it's even sports, right? I mean, who, who knows? But there's always sort of this tension. There's always this, it seems like we're challenged to find that harmony and that unity. And I'll tell you, as a, as a pastoral staff, we have spent much time in prayer for you and for us, but what we realize is that indeed there is an enemy who is on the attack. There is a great agitator and disruptor that is constantly working. And one of the main places we recognize as a pastoral staff is that he is after families, that he, he comes after marriages in particular, that he, he will... He will, he will just do whatever he can to create tension there, to create uh, problems there. And, and many of you, the reality and truth of it is, you may be walking through that right now. And the holidays aren't particularly merry for you. In fact, you just aren't looking forward to it at all because, yeah, there's downtime and there's this, this expectation that you will be together when in reality things are really good because we weren't seeing each other all the time. So we are very much aware as a pastoral staff, and we are praying like crazy, and we are thinking about ways and strategizing about ways to come alongside of you and to encourage you 
And we don't know that we have all the answers. We don't know that we'll be able to solve those issues that come up in your marriage. Um, we don't know, but we're at, least be, we're at least willing to say, hey, we're here. You don't have to go it alone. At the very least, we can, we can listen. We can put an arm around. We can provide Kleenex for the tears. But what we realize is that while you may not face opposition to your faith specifically like Paul and the Philippians did, but you face some real challenges, some real opposition. And you may just be hanging on by even just a thread. We want you to know, kind of like, like what Paul's saying to his brothers and sisters at Philippi, we, we care about you. You matter. You don't have to go it alone. You matter. And your church is here. Now, what's interesting is Paul continues on. He kind of provides a little bit of a remedy for all of us. He helps us to begin to understand what it means to deal with opposition and to walk through it. Because the reality is it's not going to go away necessarily. There will always be challenges and, and agitators and agitating will always sort of come up. But he gives us a little bit of an idea of what it takes to break through. And I want to go back to chapter 2 now and hit verses 3 and 4 again. Actually, let me just start, let me go back to uh, 1 and 2 as well, just to read the whole thing again, because it's all very, very, very good. But listen, in light of what we just talked about, listen to this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any encouragement from being united with Christ, what he's, what he's implying there, that there is a certain natural-born encouragement you have as a Christ follower. You come to faith in Jesus there's something to that. You don't think the same way everybody thinks. You don't, you don't have the same perspective or outlook that everybody, has, uh, everybody else has who maybe isn't united with Christ. He says, you are encouraged by something altogether different. He says, if you have any encouragement, implied that you absolutely should have encouragement. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, the very fact that you are loved by God, buoys you up. If any fellowship with the Spirit, God's Spirit is real and active in the life of every believer. If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, it produces tenderness and compassion. The Spirit of God, where He's present, produces tenderness and compassion. Wherever there isn't the Spirit of God, you can probably expect just the opposite of tenderness and compassion. We've always been, we've all been in churches like that before, right? He says, fill me with joy. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So he comes back to this theme that, that came even before the therefore. He says, be on the same page, be united, be in the same spirit, because of your relationship with Christ, because of the Spirit of God, because you are deeply loved, come together. You have these things in common as God's people. 
And it is that, it is that mutual reality that will bring you through whatever opposition you face. He continues in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't be selfish. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says, when things get rough for you, the natural thing to do is to just sort of turn inward. He says, don't do that. You gotta look out for others. I like what he says, he uses the word humility. Perhaps he's suggesting to us that the remedy often when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, the remedy isn't pride, the remedy is actually humility. Notice, um, notice this. Um, this is a book written by uh, Dr. Tim Keller, and he talks about what the essence of humility is. And I just want to read this with you, and I, I like what he says. He says, uh, it's from a book called uh, the, Freedom of the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. He says, um, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. He calls this the path to true freedom. And here's the thing that often happens in our context as we meet opposition and circumstances. I know it doesn't sound like pride, but it is pride. Because there's pride that drives us to hide, right? There's pride that drives us to hide. In other words, you're going through junk, you're dealing with stuff. And the, the, the minute you walk through the door on Sabbath morning and somebody says happy Sabbath to you, you just pipe right up and say happy Sabbath back knowing full well it's not no happy Sabbath. <laughs> right? Ain't nothing happy about it. I hadn't been happy for the last six months. A lot of times pride causes us to hide because I can't let anybody know what's going on with me. They, they, they expect me to be a certain way. They expect me to have a certain level of, 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 you know, of success, at least pretend success. And so we hide. Pride causes us often to hide, which leads to pretending. The fruit of pride is often hiding and pretending, just sort of saying everything's okay. And we all know this. It's very difficult it's very difficult to make it through circumstances and opposition and difficulties if we're pretending and we're hiding. In fact, people don't really get well if they pretend or they hide. Things just tend not to get better. Keller suggests, and it absolutely steals your joy away, and Keller suggests this. He suggests self-forgetfulness. The putting away of our pride, the, the refusal to just go and hide and pretend, the rejection of any pretension whatsoever. And he suggests that one of the most essential things you can have is just to lean into the people around you. That's what he's calling the Philippians to do. 
He doesn't even tell them to fight back against the opposers. He says, because of your love for Christ, your mutual love for Christ, because of your fellowship with the Spirit, because of your, the fact that you are loved by Christ, press together. Come together. Don't, don't be so hung up on you. Don't be, don't be uh, ambitious to a fault. Don't be so conceited and self-absorbed and narcissistic that you miss out on the joy that comes when you lean into fellowship with me and with others. It says, you want to you deal with the circumstances around you? You want to make it through the circumstances around you? Don't go, don't go all off by yourself. But he says, lean in. So essentially, he says, fellowship with God and with others completes our joy. It fills us with joy, despite the reality of the opposition of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. In other words, people, people don't get well, they don't find joy on an island alone by themselves. But they find joy as they lean in to God and to his people. Um, at, at the end of most of the messages, um, and in serving one another, at the end of most of the messages during this series, I try to remember, I try to think of someone who represents this, this, uh, this key truth, this vital truth. And um, I, in light of the fact that the Hacksaw Ridge movie is out, I wanted to, uh, I just, I thought of the life of Desmond T. Doss, just this amazing man, an amazing story. If you haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge, go see it sometime during your break or time, take your family and, and go see. It's a powerful, powerful story. But what you see is a man who uh, actually took, you know, these words of Paul to heart. And that is he wasn't overly concerned about himself. And he sacrificed and he gave of himself for the sake of others. I believe he exemplified this idea of self-forgetfulness. Um, and so I have, a, I have a little bit of a personal story with him. Um, in fact, my wife and I got to meet him back in 1999. So I think I have a picture of it. I hope the picture, is the picture gonna? Yeah, so that's not me in the Pathfinder uniform. That's, a, that's another person. But I'm the guy on the left in the little polo shirt there, and I have like, like hair on my head. I've, yes, that was different back then. Um, but I have, yeah, I have hair, and I'm holding the microphone there, and that's Mr. Doss right there in the middle. He was a guest of ours at this event, and so I got to host him. But the thing that stood out to me, um, at this point, he's probably late 70s, early, I can't remember exactly how old he was, but from the moment you met this man, he was just, he just exuded a certain love, a certain joy that was profound. And when you think about the backdrop of his life, you know how I was talking about how life has its own set of oppositions and challenges and circumstances? If you watch the movie, you know that his father was an alcoholic, an abusive alcoholic, a rageaholic. He went through all kinds of stuff. He himself kind of turned violent and, and, and hurt his brother and so forth. So he, and 
for him, he actually did come up against the opposition to his faith and his spiritual life and so forth. But he also had the same stuff that you and I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. In the reality of our families, in the reality of our homes, he lived through that. And yet, when the chips were down, when it was all said and done, he thought it better to save the lives of others with very little regard for his own life. And so um, I believe he exemplifies what Paul is getting at. That when life is difficult, when circumstances arise that oppose you and disrupt your joy, the truth is you can still rejoice in the midst of those circumstances and that opposition, but do so out of a spirit of self-sacrifice of a spirit of love and care for and looking out for the people around you. I pray that that would be a reality in this church, especially through these holidays. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for um, the joy that we experience because of our faith. Thank you that you, first and foremost, set the example for us of, of incredible sacrifice. And we have the privilege now, God, of looking back on the lives of others, Paul, as well as Desmond Doss, and seeing where they sacrificed much, where they gave much with very little regard for their own lives. And so, Father, we pray that that would be the same spirit that we would carry, that we would lean into the circumstances with our brothers and our sisters that we would find a way to let go of the pride that keeps us bound to the things that keep us from experiencing true joy, and that we would find peace, that we would find joy, that we would find love in this place. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.